Well, welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Uh, this is Pastor Trey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Powell Butte Christian Church in Powell Butte, Oregon. And it's uh, always good to connect with those who listen to us online or watch us on Sunday morning on our live stream. Uh, we have services streaming live at 8.30 and 10.30 and 11.30 on our YouTube channel, Powell Butte Christian Church. And then, of course, if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you here. We're in a series right now uh, that uh, came about just with the knowledge that we turned 77 years old as a church. And there's a lot of people in our area that you would never know that they were as old as what they are. There's something in the water around here where it makes people look and act younger than what they really are. And I would think that uh, it would be good for a church to look at the spiritual health of its membership um, when, when you turn 77, uh, not too, you know, there's not a lot of churches out there that get to, to reach 75, 76, 77, 100, 150 years old. I, I've been a, uh, involved with a couple of them over the years, and that's, that's been amazing. But, uh, you know, you, you can start to slow down if you get into your 70s as a church, and, uh, you know, can get a little spiritually unhealthy as traditions take over rather than a vital relationship with God. And so, we decided to look at all the different things that would make somebody who's 77 um, more vital and more healthy in their spirit. And so that's kind of what this is all about, making 77 look good. This is our third sermon in the series. And today I, I just want to look at stress management. Lots been going on with our congregation. Uh, a lot of shocking news of uh, people going on to be with the Lord. Um, and uh, it just, it's been weighing heavy on my heart. And so I kind of tossed the first idea out for this week, and I thought this week would be good to talk about stress management because when you're an old person, when you're an older church, uh, stress can really hurt you. It can kill you. Stress is not good for our health. So I want to go back to the Old Testament. The date was 750 B.C. The place was Jerusalem. And the man was Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Judah. He was a good king. Uh, he was the son of Asa, the king. And, and during Jehoshaphat's reign, there's peace and prosperity in the land because, well, Jehoshaphat was a man of the book. He, he, he loved God. And more than anything, he wanted to do what God said. So God honored him for his commitment and made not just Jehoshaphat's kingship great, but there was prosperity in the land as well. Now, the events of Jehoshaphat's kingship are found in Second Chronicles, uh, starting in chapter 17 and going through chapter 21. But today I want to look at an event that happened in chapter 20, an event that proved to be very stressful indeed. You know, if you're a king of a nation, you expect at times to have to go to war with a, a neighboring nation, a, a warring nation. But all of a sudden, there's a surprise attack that has come against uh, Judah, the southern kingdom that uh, Jehoshaphat is king of, and it's coming from the southeast. And it's not just one nation. There are three nations that decide to gang up against Judah. There's Moab um, and Ammon and uh, a group called the Meunites um, from Mount Sair. And without warning, they, they all just, they gathered together, they crossed the Dead Sea, and now they're only about 40 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, th these nations, uh, well, they, they kind of had a grudge, you know, at this ancient hostility. Um, they had anger 
uh, jealousy. And so the, the danger is very, very real. But to make it more personal, if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2, there's a significant phrase in there that gets added. Because Jehoshaphat is told that this vast army is coming. This vast army made of three different nations are coming, but not just against the, the, the Jerusalem, not just against the nation. A vast army, Jehoshaphat, is coming against you. Man, when you start to feel like the attacks are personal, when it really is you stuck in this thing, that will produce stress. And so I just want to ask the question, what do you do when the stress comes? You know, you, you listen to the top healthcare professionals, they'll, they'll say that stress can kill you. They, they, they can shorten our lifespans. What is stress? Well, there's a, a lot of kinds of stress out there, uh, but they're all kind of interrelated. Sports Illustrated one time had a, an article on sports stress fractures, okay? And, and in that article, it says a stress fracture begins when the shock and the strain of playing a very violent game creates microscopic cracks in the outer layer of the bone. Okay, that's where it starts. Uh, microscopic cracks in the outer layers. And it's usually down in the, the legs or the feet. But as that pounding continues, day after day, week after week, those crevices that often go undetected because they are so microscopic, they're not allowed to heal. And so you keep putting that that pressure on them, that the pounding on them, and all of a sudden those little fissures become enlarged. And when cracks become large enough to cause pain, they now are said to have be a stress fracture. See, if the pounding continues, if they don't heal the pain, then everything will increase. The damage will increase, the pain will increase, the stress increases. And that's exactly what we're talking about today because if life's pains go unhealed, they will enlarge. If we don't deal with the stress, the things that are causing us stress right now, if we cannot deal with them now, they're just going to get worse and worse and worse. When you're 77 years old, as we are as a church, and you're concerned about your health, one of the most important things to deal with is that stress level. All that you've allowed to pile up in your life, not dealt with, but it just is piling up and putting more and more pressure on you. So stress management, I believe, is critical not just for your physical health, but it's actually very, very critical for your spiritual health as well. So how does Jehoshaphat deal with this, this crisis, these three nations coming at him? Well, if you, again, go to Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 20, uh, let's go ahead and read what it says in verse 3. It says, Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of Jehovah, the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, they say that uh, what you decide to do in the first moments of a crisis, that's going to be significant, okay? The way you respond when your back is up against the wall, that's when you know what you're made out of, okay? Whether you're going to shrink back or whether you're going to actually go and, and be proactive. So what do you do? What do you do when the nations come against you? What do you do when your land is invaded? Do you, do you bring in the big guns? Do you fight back? Do you call the army? No, Jehoshaphat doesn't do any of that. Yes, he was alarmed, okay? Anybody would be. But he's wise enough to recognize that this is something that he can't handle. 
that this literally is something that is too big for him. That takes wisdom, folks. It takes wisdom to realize when you're up against something that you just cannot handle. You know, that's, that's going to be the first step that we can take in combating the stress that will kill you. Know when you need to resign as from being in charge of the universe. Sometimes you just need to resign from being in charge, right? And so we look at this amazing prayer that, that Jehoshaphat says. He says, we're going to fast, we're going to go through these spiritual disciplines, and we're going to pray. And his prayer is recorded for us in verses 6 through 12. And this is one of the most amazing prayers that we can find in the Bible. It's a prayer of faith. Starting in verse 6, this is what Jehoshaphat prays. O Jehovah, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it. They have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity ever comes upon us, whether it be the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. We will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. The Lord, now here are men from Ammon and Moab and from Mount Sair, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. But see how they are repaying us now by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. So, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, what a prayer. A prayer that really turns their eyes to where their eyes need to be. A prayer that begins to lighten the load, to reduce the stress factor. What, what is Jehoshaphat's faith in? Well, if you look at verse 6, where it says, Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. You know, Jehoshaphat's faith is in the person of God. You know, the, the, the fact that he's there, the, the fact that this is all part of his plan, this is part of what God had designed. But then he, he has faith in God's promise. Look at verse 7. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Didn't you give it to us forever, the, the descendants of Abraham, your friend? That was your promise, God. My faith is in your promise, the fact that you're faithful to your word. And then finally, Jehoshaphat's faith is in God's power. As an amazing verse, again, to memorize. We have no power to face this fast army. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That has right now become one of my favorite prayers to pray personally. We do not, I do not know what to do, God. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You know, we have been poisoned by this world with something called rugged individualism. Where we have been taught, if you've got a problem, it's, it's up to you to solve it. And so we, we, we develop this bravura, this, this, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, this personality, not personality, what am I trying to say? We, we've, it's like we've got this. I'm invincible, you're loony. No, I'm invincible. I can handle this. And we, we buy then into the lie that... Um, Somewhere somebody said, hey, you know, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. 
Now, now that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's not going to be allow, allow us to be tempted beyond what we can stand up to. But it never says that God's not going to give us more than we can handle. That lie is insidious because it makes us believe that somehow it's on us, on our own power, on our own promises, on our own person that we can handle things. And second of all, it makes us feel like somehow we are less than what God has called us to be when we can't handle it. You know, that somehow we've let him down because, well, you wouldn't give me more than I can handle, and I, I can't handle this. So obviously, it's not your fault, God. It's mine. Folks, if God never gives us more than we can handle, then why do we need him? Why do we need his people? You see, if, if God doesn't give us more than we can handle, then when we feel like we can't handle it, it must be us. Our fault. That's an insidious lie of the devil. Folks, we need to rely on him. We cannot take it all upon ourselves. That will bring more stress than anything. Let me tell you something that is the potential to save your life. It is okay to say, God, I cannot handle this on my own. I don't know what to do. That's an amazing thing to say because it's going to lead you to that, that very next, that last part where he says, but my eyes are on you. See, in other words, you're saying, I, I can't. I can't do this, God, but I know you can. And guess what? He can, and he does. And, and God moves then when Jehoshaphat prays this prayer. And while all the people are still gathered in Jerusalem, the Lord spoke. He raised up a prophet, a guy named Jehaziel. And uh, in the next few verses, starting in verse 14, we, we read of what God says through Jehaziel. Uh, look at uh, 20, uh, verses 14 through 17. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Yahaziel, it's probably Yahaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Benaniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph. And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what Yehovah, the Lord, says to you Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and uh, you, you will find them at the edge of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel, and you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. See the deliverance that Yehovah, the Lord, will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and Yehovah, the Lord, will be with you. The Lord will be with you. I, I, I want to just take a, a moment to savor what Yahaziel says in verse 15. He says this. He says, the battle is not yours, king. The battle is not yours, Judah. The battle is not yours, O army. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. You see, in the moment of crisis, our greatest stress factor is discouragement. We see our enemies lined up against us and it scares us to death. Without understanding that there can be help, our stress levels can hit the ceiling. There's an old story about a boy who was playing out in the sandbox and he was building a tunnel for his hot wheel cars to go through. And, but as he was digging through and he was getting pretty deep in the dirt, he hits this huge rock. I mean, huge rock. It's this boulder and he wants the tunnel to go through, but he can't. And, and so he, he tries 
all these things. He tries his little plastic shovel. He, he tries with his hands, and he's pushing with all his might. And uh, his dad comes out and sees him struggling. He says, son, what's going on? He goes, well, this, this rock is here, and I can't move it. And he goes, well, did you use all, all your strength? He goes, yeah, I used all my strength. I couldn't do it. And the dad says, you didn't use all your strength. And, and the boy says, yes, I did. I, I used all my strength, dad. And the dad says, no, you didn't ask me if I could move it. You didn't use all the resources at your disposal, son. You, you did not ask me to come in. And with that, the father moved the, the rock away and the little boy could continue building the tunnel. Church, if the battle is ours, if we have to deal with the sudden deaths, if we have to deal with the sudden loss of a job, if we have to deal with the diseases that we have to, to, to face today, if we had to deal with all of the uh, friends turning against us in disagreement with our positions that we hold politically or, or otherwise, if we have to deal with that, if that battle is ours, we're in trouble. But if the battle is God's, well, it depends on how much faith you have in that God isn't it? Because if the battle is God's, ultimately you don't have to fight it. That's, that's what Yahaziel said. You don't have to fight. Now, there's, there's battle positions. You've got to get your positions. You've got to stand firm. But you won't even have to fight. you just got to take the position that God calls you into. And now here's where we get to the good part of the story. Because the very next morning, the army of Judah began to move against the enemy. But it's the strangest battle formation in history. Look at verses 20 and 21. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith, trust in Yehovah, the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, the ones who bring God's word to you, and you will be successful. So after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord, Yehovah God, and to praise him for the splendor of holiness as they went out at the head of the army singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Praise ye the Lord our God, his mercy shall never end. Wow. Can you imagine the scene? Here comes the army. Thousands of men armed for battle. And who is leading them? Not the scouts. Not the archers, not the warriors, not the infantry, not the shields, not the mighty men. It's the choir. It's the worship team that's out there. Oh, man, talk about gutsy. Because to a human perspective, either the singers are going to be killed in this great slaughter, or God's got to come through. They literally put themselves in that if God does not come through, they are dead. But folks, if this is truly God's battle then the only true faith-filled response is worship and praise of a God that will take the day. Doesn't make military sense. I get it. There's no element of surprise. They're singing at the top of their lungs and not some patriotic hoorah chant, right? But they're, they're singing praise and worship. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Over and over and over. They're, they're singing this. Praise ye the Lord our God. His mercy endures forever and ever. And they lift their praise higher and higher. And I, I wonder if, if the soldiers behind them began to actually maybe join them. 
Like the video one time that I saw of uh, the United States Marines gathered together in a, in a church service. Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these Marines singing the song uh, that we sing here um, in our first service. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, and the trumpet call, lift your voice. And then this massive room of, of, <clears throat> of U.S. Marines all shout, Hurrah! So lift your voice, Hurrah! It's the year of Jubilee. <clears throat> And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Man, that gave me chills. Every time I see it, it gives me chills. To see a vast army, hurrah, and singing praise to God. Church, when, the, when worship is the first thing that comes out of your mouth, then it's the first thing that the enemy hears. And when that happens, something amazing begins to take place. Look, look at verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sair who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. We're not given a lot of detail here. But the end result is this. The enemy got all turned around. According to verse 23, they started to attack one another. And once the killing started, there was no way to stop it. And as the army of Judah crested that hill to see the battlefield, verse 24 tells us that the only thing that they saw were dead bodies lying as far as the eye could see. A a field full of corpses. Moabites, Ammonites, Mayunites, they're all dead. And not one of them was killed by a Judean soldier. The army of Judah had come out worshiping singing, praising God. And by the time that they arrived at the battlefield, it was all over. The battle was indeed, truly, the Lord's. So what? (laughs) My dad, who is uh, in ministry, he would uh, often ask that at the end of his uh, sermons or his his, uh, lessons that he would give when he was in youth ministry. It's like, okay, so what? So what? what? What do we glean from all of this, especially when it comes to stress management? What, what does this all mean for us? Just, just two things, guys. Just two things. It's very simple today. Number one, worry increases stress when we think it's all on us, when we think it's all supposed to come from us. Worrying will always increase your stress level. The key to this victory is found... When Jehoshaphat says, we have no power to face this vast army that's coming against us, that's the confession of his weakness. Now, to some people, when you realize that you have no power to face this vast army, that should scare the daylights out of you, right? But to a person of faith, let me tell you, what, what an amazing place, what, what the perfect place to be in. And if you are there right now facing this, these three armies coming at you, don't despair. Don't despair. Because God delights to intervene on behalf of powerless people. The Apostle Paul, a couple different times in 2 Corinthians, talks about his weakness. Okay? In chapter 1, he talks about how um, he, he faced these horrible trials and he despaired even of death because they were far too great for him to be able to handle it. And then later on, he, he talks about a, a, a messenger of Satan that had come to torment him with something that, uh, this ailment that he had been dealing with. And he prays three times for God to take it away from him, to heal him. 
<clears throat> because he knows that, God, if, if I don't have to deal with this, then I could be strong enough to do what you want me to do. But God's response to Paul was very unexpected. I mean, you'd think that God would say, oh, sure, Paul, I, I would love for you to be able to be more effective for me, and so I'm going to take away your weakness and so that you can be strong in and of yourself so that you can do what I want you to do. No, that's not God's response. God, can you please take this away from me? God's response was, no. No, I'm not. I'm going to keep you in weakness, Paul. Why? Because as Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God tells him, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, my power, my grace is going to be all you need to do what I've asked you to do. He says, listen, my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, when we are weak, God is strong. Here's an interesting thought. Part of developing spiritual health may be in allowing God to continue to strip us of anything else that we trust in. Our 401k, our health, our job, our bank account, our plans for the future. Maybe God strips us of all of those things, not to destroy us, but so that we realize where our strength and our trust really needs to lie. We need to be relying on Him, not any of those things. Man, if, if you have all of your heart wrapped up in your 401k, your, your investments, and those things start to go downhill, you can start to panic. If, if everything that you have is, is tied up in you being healthy and, and, and having uh, physical strength, well, then when all of a sudden your strength starts to uh, be taken away, if you start to get sick and, and you start to uh, become frail, then, then, then what you've put your trust in is not, is not uh, owning up to the promises that they made, that you thought that they made. Folks, I think God sometimes strips us of all these things that we trust in so that we can learn that none of those are to really, truly be trusted, only Him. That's what God did for Jehoshaphat. He says, listen, trust me, I've got this. That's what he wants to do for you. That's what he's doing for some of you right now. The things that you valued most are, are, are being taken away from you, but God, who seems to be so, I don't know, indifferent in doing that, actually loves you. He's, he's got to continue to, to work in you so that your trust can be built up in him and in him alone. Worrying increases your stress. Number two, worship releases your stress. Worship releases stress as we declare into the heavenlies, into this world, into the spiritual realm, that we trust God. You know, there's this joke about, and it's a visual joke, so if you're listening to me on podcast, I'm sorry, but basically there's, you know, the French battle position. I don't know if you know that. That's when you raise your arms up and surrender. You know, the French have this reputation for so many so many uh, centuries that they, they just kind of always just give up. They don't fight. They just kind of give up. But maybe that's not so much of a joke, raising your arms as a battle position. You know, God says, take up your positions in verse 17. Take up your positions. And so what, what did he want them to do? Did he want them to hold their hands out in fists ready to fight? Did he want them to hold on to their spears and their swords and their shields ready to fight? No, he wanted them to put their hands up, not in surrender to the enemy, but to surrender in surrender to the Lord. 
and in praise and worship of the God who is going to win the battle. Okay? He said, you don't have to fight, so don't have your hands out here ready to fight. You put your hands up in worship to God. That's your position. Something that we should really study here soon, the, the reality of our spiritual lives is that worship is not something that we just do for an hour on a Sunday morning. It's not simply a religious routine that has been reserved for this place right here at this time on this day. Now, see, worship needs to be a response that is constant, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a response to God because God works in our life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, doesn't he? Or does he only work on a Sunday morning for an hour? See, our response to God needs to be as faithful as his working in our life is for us. We turn to him in our helplessness, in our weakness, and say, it's got to be you, God. We worship you because you are the God that can help. That's why this story is so crucial in the the proper understanding of worship. Because if you read through chapter 20, you would see so many different ways of worshiping God. Fasting, gathering together, praying, standing before the Lord, bowing down, falling down, loud praising, marching, singing, praising, praising in the valley, praising in the temple, cheering, rejoicing, thanking, playing the instruments. And they worshiped God before they met the, the enemy. They, they worshiped during the crisis that they were facing, and they worshiped after God had won the day. See, worship was not just waiting for God to do it, and then we'll worship Him. They were worshiping throughout this whole thing. Worship was not an event that they came and attended. Worship was a way of life. Worship shows a very practical way, in a very practical way, that we trust God. And trusting God in practical ways is an amazing step towards stress management in our life. So what are you willing to give up today? to lift up to Him in praise and in worship. Are, are, you, are you ready to give Him your desires for a future mate? Are you ready to give Him all of the troubles uh, that uh, you are encountering financially? Are you willing to give up your health and your security to Him? Are you willing to give up your rights to Him in order for Him to work it through? Because He is the God that can do it. If you're not willing to do that and come to him in this position, in this posture, well, then you're going to always fight worry because it's always going to be on you. But if you worship him like this and give it to him, you will find some amazing things happen. So in summary, you should be asking yourself four questions that deal with stress management. Who do you trust? Truly, at the end of the day, in a practical way of speaking, who do you trust? And how do you see yourself in your own power? Is that what you're relying on? Or are you willing to you know, bow down before somebody greater than you? What, what do you do in times of stress and crisis? Do you worry or do you worship? And then what does God do? Who do you trust? How do you see yourself? What do you do in times of crisis? And what does God then do? See, Jehoshaphat, turns out, didn't need an army. Right? He didn't need a large army. He didn't need an army at all, for that matter. Right? As long as the nation 
was depending upon the Lord, as long as they would worship, God would fight their battles. And so as long as Jehoshaphat learned to release his worry, realizing that it wasn't even his battle, as long as Jehoshaphat lived in worship, declaring to the world that he had faith in the person and the promise and the power of God, then he knew that things would end up exactly as they should. So where are you today in your stress management? In closing this morning, uh, as you're listening to me right now, I just what I want you to do, and we don't do this often here, but I want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to hold your hands out in front of you like you're holding something in them. And, and palms turn towards the sky, towards God. This is your battle position, church, because in that position right there, heads bowed, eyes closed, hands, face, palms up, faced up towards the Lord. In that position, I want you to visualize all the ar- armies that, the, that Satan is using to knock at your door, to, to, to make you afraid, to, to pile up against you and to bring stress and anxiety and fear to your life. Okay? That's heavy. That's heavy for you to be holding now. I- imagine holding all of that. Now, I want you to do something very simple. I want you to turn your hands over so that your palms are facing the floor. And if you had been holding all of those things that bring fear and anxiety and stress, what happens to those things that you're holding on to when you do that? Folks, that simple act of of turning your hands from holding it all to letting it go and dumping it there, if you can then imagine right there at the foot of the cross, that's the power of worship. That's the act of bringing things that are way too big for you to a God that you absolutely believe is bigger than anything that you can hold in your hands, anything that the enemy can throw at you. And by the way, the enemy can throw a lot. Believe me, I know. But that act of letting it go is an act of worship, giving it up, throwing it down. So that fear that you have right now of losing control, go ahead, lose it. Lose it. Go ahead. Give control to God. And then put those singers in your life, those singers, put them in front of your defenses and let them continually lift up a worship song to the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. His mercies endureth forever and ever. And then stand back and watch. Watch what God does as you've let it go. And by the way, don't pick it back up. Don't do that. Because if God is God, then let Him be God. And then you stand firm, as Jehoshaphat was told to. And you stand firm, taking up your position and watch the salvation that only He can bring. All right. That's the message from the Word of God today. I know that many, many people are dealing with this kind of stuff, with worry and fear and anxiety and Boy, I just want people to understand that there is a way to combat that, to give up worry and to pick up worship. All right. Well, again, if you're ever in Central Oregon, you are invited to uh, come and hang out with us and uh, tell us you're listening to us on the podcast. I want to thank all of those people, Lisa Welly and uh, Steve Pittman and and all of those people who have made this possible. Uh, Lisa works on this every week to put it up on our podcast 
and I appreciate that. Um, so anyways, uh, may God bless you this week as you uh, start to work out how you're going to deal with the stress that is in your life.